Hey there, I'm Allison Howell, and you're listening to our final episode in season two of The Trunk Show, where I talk with the masterminds behind leading event rental companies about their rental adventures. The show is brought to you by RW Elephant, mighty inventory management software designed to help you conquer the chaos in your event rental business and reclaim your creativity because the world needs more of the beautiful events and environments you create. In this episode, I sit down with Alice Sip to learn how her discovery of a gap in an overseas market grew into a multi-location furniture hire and styling business. I am Alice. Um, I own a company called Flock Events alongside my husband, and uh, we specialize in furniture hire, but we also offer services as styling and planning. Um, And we used to offer florals, but have dropped that service. Um, So now we just focus on premium, lounge, sort of tables and chairs and all that kind of furniture hire. Wonderful. And in case we can't tell, where are you from? (laughs) I'm from New Zealand. So um, born and raised, um, have spent some time in other countries, but back in New Zealand with my American husband. In what ways is the New Zealand market different? A lot of outdoor weddings. Um, okay. A lot We call them marquees, but tent weddings, a lot of tent weddings. Right. Um, so actually majority of our furniture goes on grass. I think everything's just a little bit more casual. Were you planning to start a hire business? <laughs> no, I'm not sure who does. Basically, I met my husband. <laughs> um, he okay. was a farmer in Minnesota. And yeah, I, I had done event, I sort of done it, um, been in the event industry in the past in Toronto, I sort of did it on the side and um, had started a company in Fargo, basically as something to do <laughs> alongside farming because sure. obviously you have some time off. We were farming but wanted to, yeah, have a change of lifestyle and Chris had never been to New Zealand but we actually came out here for three months Um just on holiday and he really, really okay. loved it. And never in my life did I think I would move back to New Zealand because I married a farmer and expected to stay on the land and, <laughs> and live in sure. Minnesota. And so when you moved, that's when Flock was born. Yeah, Flock started um, actually after this trip. I had another company that I mentioned earlier, which was Christopher & Co., which did florals and styling, no furniture. That was based in the States. Chris is actually very good at florals, which is um, quite funny, but he just has, I guess, big farmer hands and can do these massive installations. And Sure. Um, yeah, so we started that and he, you know, could help me. But when we came to New Zealand in those three months, I thought that um, I would do a style shoot because it just gave something to our portfolio. And right. um, very, very limited furniture. So I had one option of chair, one table, um, I asked to find a blue Chesterfield sofa and everyone said, no, it's not possible. And I thought, well, let's get huh. one in from two hours away, you know, and no, yeah. still not possible. So Chris actually had the idea. He said, you know, um, why could we not get that? Does that not seem strange? And um, we sort of looked around and there was no one doing luxury furniture rentals of lounge furniture a few people doing tables and chairs, um, and I'm talking actually nationwide, which yeah. small nation. What year is this? This is 2018, the start of 2018. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically we were looking at some photos, and sure enough, there just was there were no photos, sort of no barliners or cocktail tables or anything. Um, mm-hmm. So Chris said, like, why don't we try and do it? So 
we did. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, what an adventure. That's really exciting. Was it yeah. scary or were you confident? Definitely not confident. Um, I guess whenever there's a gap in the market, you sort of say, is the gap there because there's no demand or is the gap there because the demand's not filled? Um, and right. I guess fortunately for us, it was the latter. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we ordered furniture back home in the States when we got back after the three months is when we really sort of looked into supply suppliers and sourcing furniture. And yeah, so we actually sort of launched it from the States pretending we were in New Zealand. Um, wow. And moved back There's to New Zealand. There's a little Zealand. bit of fake it till you make yeah. it in every entrepreneurial yeah, story, definitely. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was. Um, yeah, so then we moved back to New Zealand three months later and welcomed in containers of furniture and went from there, really. Okay. So tell me what was in that those first containers. What was in the shipment that you were planning? What, what were those pieces that you were really expecting to rent well? Um, or sorry, to hire well. We should do like a little vocabulary lesson right <laughs> yeah, now. The difference. So earlier you said you said oh, barliners. Right. Okay, um, yeah. In the states, we often call those cocktail tables. Yes, yeah. Um, let's see what other you you mentioned marquee intent. Uh, yeah, I, I assume you say hire rather than rentals. Yes, yeah. Um, so like I said, I, because I guess I'd spent most of my adulthood in North America. I left New Zealand when I was twenty two. I didn't understand a lot of sort of the New Zealand trends um, okay. and didn't actually research them well enough, to be quite honest. And so I looked at, um, I guess, weddings in, in the States and purchased based on that. So I bought a lot of Louis chairs, which are the upholstered dining chairs, and I bought right. farmhouse tables and okay. lots of bright coloured velvets and antique designs. So was that disappointing or did that sort of build your resolve? How did you react when you realized that your collection wasn't quite right? Um, I acted very quickly and I found a supplier in Indonesia and ordered a container of um, cane and rattan furniture, basically ASAP. And as soon as that landed, it was hired the next day and that to this day has become our bread and butter, actually. Sure. So are you still mostly doing weddings or are there other kinds of events that you're furnishing as well? Um, so we started a little sort of history. Um, we started Flock in Hawke's Bay, which is a, a region in New Zealand. Um, and a year later, we launched another location in Auckland, which is the largest city in New Zealand of 1.5 million. Right. Hawke's Bay is very lifestyle orientated very little corporate um, and corporate money and corporate events. So we actually sought out another location so we could have corporate events. Um, and Auckland probably now is 75% corporate and 25% weddings. And Hawke's Bay, yeah, Bay is 90% weddings. And is Hawke's Bay more seasonal where Auckland is more year-round? Yes, yeah. So we could have three months off in Hawke's Bay very easily. And... With that, we um, do the maintenance of all furniture and maintenance of both locations and building and all of those things. Right, but you keep your your stock separate, correct? You don't you don't trade back and forth for an event this weekend and then it's you know it's in Hawks Bay one weekend and then in um, Auckland the next, correct? Yeah, so Auckland's a five and a half hour drive on a good day. Um, right. So we have two warehouses and two different teams and I have admin staff that do Auckland weddings and Auckland corporate and the same with Hawke's Bay. 
So we do keep it separate, but definitely do run a truck back and forth. If we have big weddings or we were going to lose a significant order because we didn't have the stock, we would just truck it up to Auckland. So opening a second location a year in, that's, um, I would say, (laughs) atypical in this industry. What was the catalyst for that? Was it just wanting to have more events or help me understand how you made that decision? Yeah, I guess we just um, did a lot of research as to what was going on in Auckland. Um, Often we were sent emails by people in Auckland that said, you know, uh, would you come here? Sure. And um, so I guess because we had these queries, I thought, well, maybe there's demand or maybe there's a gap in the market there. Um, Right. It was a massive push. There's no denying it. Um, I actually had my first baby, Harriet. I should say first, she's my only baby, Harriet. Um, <laughs> and Chris left four hours after she was born because Auckland was launching and we had our first event. So it was a really right. full-on time um, and it was difficult, but we just we emailed a lot of people to say that we were there because we had our name known. We went into an area with people knowing who we were. So sure. I think they were excited, like, oh, Flocks come to town and, um, you know, they could hire our inventory, I think, because we were established, right. actually, it helped us a lot. So you became the go-to for the kind of furniture that you're offering and the kind of decor that you would provide. Yeah, I mean, we we changed what we offered because we we could see what we were good at and we stuck to it, essentially. So we had florals in the mix as well and we were sort of trying Mm. to do a lot of planning and we actually stripped that away to focus on furniture. Sure. And did you do that because it was the most profitable or is getting the most inquiries or how did you make that decision? Uh, Most profitable, definitely. Uh, The cost of the time and effort into (laughs) furniture versus the time and effort into florals were different. But um, we could just see the potential, I think, in furniture and I guess a non-perishable product as well. Um, it was just safe to push for a while. Um, we've actually still, we've maintained that we don't do florals. Um, however, we've added back into the services planning and styling, and that is now a really big part of our offering. Yeah. So um, as you made those decisions, did you buy different pieces for Auckland than you had in Hawke's Bay and vice versa? Or do you sort of have mirror collections in both locations? Uh, We have a sort of a base. um, I mentioned the Indonesian furniture. So we have the same collection of Indonesian furniture in both locations, which gives us the ability, if we had a really large corporate event or a festival, for example, we could put out a lot of lounging furniture because we would just take it from one location. Sure. In Auckland, because of the corporate market, we have a lot more velvets. Uh, We have a lot of sort of jewel-toned furniture um, and I guess more modern and sleek things than we do in Hawke's Bay. And I guess in that same kind of idea, Hawke's Bay, like I said, being wine country, we have a lot more farmhouse or rustic-ish, you know, leather Chesterfield options for Hawke's Bay that fit the venues that um, we service. Take me back a little bit, back to those importing days. And I'm sure you're, I know you're continuing to import. How did you get those initial suppliers and, and what do you look for now when you're looking for new things? Um, so we import everything, really. I don't buy sure. anything local. Um, 
mainly based on cost. Uh, we can have things paid for in two hires um, generally. So okay. at the start, had no idea what I was doing and no idea who I was <laughs> writing to. And actually, we sent a lot of money, about $50,000 US, to China and it bounced. And um, Chris went into full-fledged panic. Um, I had talked to someone on WhatsApp and we sent it and it, something was just slightly wrong and, and it went. But, sure. um, yeah, I guess I found my suppliers just online and Instagram and, and people sometimes cold email you and um, I actually look at their, what they've got to, um, yeah. to offer. But and then, somebody can send you a picture and what they actually send you in the container isn't always the same. Correct. And that is just, I guess I've learned to be very, very specific about every single detail. And I still have things turn up. Sure. I think that the more specific you can be, the better. You know, what is the wood colour? Can I please see samples of that wood colour? Can I, I have so many fabric samples, so at least know what the fabric is going to be. Sure, sure. Tell me a little bit more about how you make those decisions as you're evolving your collection. Mm. If you needed to buy some new pieces tomorrow, where would you start? Um, I basically look at the demand, first of all, um, and see what of our collection is going out a lot. Um, Indonesian, for example, we've always done teak and um, white. So it's always been wood and white or rattan and white. Um, And recently I've just seen this massive trend of everyone doing white on white. So I thought, well, why don't we do white wood and white cane and see if we can do some really fresh furniture. So, yeah, I, I always look at demand before I just buy. Like I would never look at a piece of furniture and go, oh, that's nice, I'll add that to the collection. I will always right. say, well, who have we got that that's going out for? And um, I always, I used to buy single things. I used to buy a single sofa, two chairs, you know, everything sure. was very, very individual. Now I want at least two of those sofas, maybe four. Um, sure. And if I'm putting it into Auckland as well, then we look at getting eight. But yeah, I've just sort of changed a bit and made sure it's more cohesive, I think. And so when you think about that collection, do you ever feel like your new purchases are kind of cannibalizing on your existing mm-hmm. collection? Like if you buy the white on white, do you ever fear that now people won't rent the white antique? No. Um, yeah, I guess that's not in that sphere because it's just so popular. Sure. It's when we buy something that's a little bit strange, you know, in colour or mm. um, in style that then it naturally sort of gets put to the back. Um and we sort of on sell it if it's if it hasn't gone out that season, then it's going really. So is that the rule? If it doesn't go out in one season, it gets the boot? Yeah, I'm sort of a little bit cutthroat <laughs> with the inventory. Wow. I often talk about things paying its own rent. You know, if it's in your warehouse and it's sitting there on the shelf, it better be making you money or it's got to get evicted so somebody else can come in and make you some more money. Yes, and we've done things that have removable covers and um, nice. try and be a little bit more wise in what we buy that we know it has that longevity to it. Um, but, you know, a lot of those original pieces we are still using um, in, the, in the second buy, so 2019, and those containers that came definitely still in our collection and will stay in our collection, um, I guess because we just purchased correctly. So tell me a little bit more about managing a remote location. You mentioned that you have a staff in Auckland. How do you make sure everyone's 
all still authentically flock. <laughs> what What is it that you do to keep everyone on the same page? Um, I'm very fortunate to have the manager that we do. So he actually started in Hawke's Bay and he's been there since day one. He went up and ran it. So we were fortunate there, but um, with the original manager, we just really worked alongside her as much as we could and helped her understand that a big part of what we do is service and um, that sets us apart. And So as you are managing kind of both locations and, and, and in Hawke's Bay and trying to keep things going in Auckland, do you ever feel like they're competing for your time or attention or do you feel like you've been able to delegate parts of it so that you don't have to sort of hold it all yourself? Yeah, originally I was sitting at a computer for 12 hours a day and I had a newborn and I was sort of fielding her like, hey, you know, go do this, I'm trying to work and very, very quickly realized that that was not sustainable. Um, sure. And actually not healthy for either one of us. Yeah. Um, so went about employing another um, admin um, girl to the team and my mother actually applied for the job. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, oh, you know, could I apply for the job? And I sort of laughed. Um, but, yeah, she was serious. So she came on board actually first of any of our admin staff she was involved and she started at 25 hours and she now does 40 but um, I guess I'm unique and also very lucky in that because she obviously doesn't have a job description. She can pick up my child sure, <laughs> if sure. needed. And, um, but is also really good at the corporate and admin side. So I was able to delegate Auckland to her. Um, Great. I did Hawke's Bay. I'm actually um, quite removed from the day-to-day admin. I do a bit of styling, but I since have um, a few girls who do different tasks. For example, one does all of the Hawke's Bay hire, one does Hawke's Bay styling, one does Auckland hire, one does Auckland styling, you know, so they've actually got their own domains now that they take charge of. Um, And I just oversee what's going on really. Wow. Well, it seems like that's a big piece to the puzzle, having family you can trust involved in your business, um, because it seems like they they get what you're really trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's been interesting the staff aspect of the company because um, we've only ever hired one person off um, seek which is kind of like our Craigslist or um, okay a, you know a job forum yeah. everyone else I've known um, or I've headhunted <laughs> okay so I've wanted them to work for us and so I've asked them to work for us or I've known them or I think they possess good qualities um sure. I've had a coffee with them and thought they've got a good mind and do on a job. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's been an interesting way to hire, but it's really, really worked out for us. We have a very loyal staff um, because we all know each other. And when we right. go into the business together, we've always set the parameters of business first relationship and we've been able to separate them and understand that it's been good to just set those that foundation from the start. That seems pretty unique. I think there's a a lot of crossover in a lot of other, um, you know, businesses where you hire people, you know, and then maybe it doesn't work out the way you expected and you're having to give feedback and it feels personal. Yeah. Have you had any of those sticky situations or you feel like you've been able to avoid that somehow? Yeah, we have had to have hard um, discussions, definitely. But I think, you know, before anyone has come on board, we've always set well, just discussed with them and said, obviously, the situation of 
relationship and business relationship and, and how it works. Well, you, you mentioned that as you sort of think of people or you, or you get to know them, you latch on to qualities that they mm. have that are, would be really beneficial in your business. What, like if you were to name your top three qualities that you're looking for or that spark that idea, oh, maybe I should hire them. What are those top three? Uh, initiative, I think, is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Loyalty and... Uh-huh. Um, I think I'm not sure how to word this, but I guess someone who is not necessarily blunt, but they're not afraid to express how they're feeling. Um, mm. Because I think that is the key when you are hiring people you know, is that you have to have open lines of communication. And if you for a second felt that you couldn't and you couldn't say, you know, actually this was done wrong. And we're back with Alice Sip of Flock Events. We're about to dig into a hot topic of late, staffing shortages amidst the pandemic. Enjoy. I know there's a massive staff shortage in the world right now, but in New Zealand, we operate off travelers. So tourists come here for a year um, and they work Mm -hmm. very hard, actually. A lot of them want 60 hours, um, which is perfect for events. And actually, I think that's good for any event company anywhere in the world, you know, to to link into backpackers who want to work for you for a short length of time and want to work really hard and, you know, all the hours they can. Um, So the issue right now is with closed borders, we don't have that task force. Right, Um, right. So had we, you know, in a year's time, ideally the borders are open and it will be perfect because you can have, you know, the staff to do it and everything um, like that. Yeah, well, that brings up an interesting point. I know a lot of higher businesses struggle because either their market is very seasonal, so they're constantly Mm. hiring and then letting go their staff at the end of the season. So how do you get new staff up and running quickly enough so that they can be useful to you before they leave again? Yeah. um, You know, for the first year and a half, two years, we operated on that model and we changed a little bit, actually. So we now try and keep all of our staff year round. Um, okay. Which is difficult. I don't <clears throat> deny that it's difficult. Um, but we've done it so that we can have consistency and so that come wedding season, uh, everybody's into it and it's just you're riding a bike, they're back, back on the bike and they're going. Um, Auckland is easier because it has year round work, but in Hawke's Bay, we just made the commitment to do it. So what do they do during that time? They build or they will maintain everything. Um, so they will sand back all of our leaners or they will do the maintenance or, you know, a massive clean of everything. Um, there's things Mm -hmm. that we've explored, um, now obviously in COVID, but we'll continue just things like this morning, the boys are going and moving furniture, um, for an estate sale. So, you know, there's been ways that we can add, uh, put money in the door in in winter. Mm -hmm. If you can find ways to to, you know, monetize the slow season um, sure. in other areas. Or if you can add value to what you're doing in summer. So, for example, if the truck's going out, how can I add more money to that truck? Um, right. You know, then it pays pays for itself over those three months. Right. Well, tell me what you do to add more money to that truck. Give me give me an example of how you, how you make that happen. Um, I guess a lot of things is what is the smaller things that you can add. There's things like um, sign holders and arches and, you know, just 
things that like signing tables and all of those things, all of those little things that people might DIY it or um, source somewhere else that you can add to it. Um, We, you know, obviously we have styling and planning and I think those are, I mean, they are very specialist fields. I'm not going to, you know, take away from the skill that's involved in them, but, you know, we charge a fee that our staff could actually go in and set up everything for a bride who didn't have a stylist or a planner. We charge a fee that our staff who are on site already can set out anything mm-hmm. else for that client that they need set out oh. or done. So if they need the table set or if they need favors put out or if they need the whatever other things or the florist needs additional hands on site. Yeah, then we add those services to the truck that's already going to that event and maybe they have to stay an extra hour. Um, but we charge a cost that's worth a lot more than the hour. Um, sure. And we've added value to that truck going out. Right. Well, that's really clever. Um, tell me a little bit more about the process that you use for that staff that's not not super busy in the in the wintertime. Are you paying hourly for them all year round? Are they salaried? How do you sort of make that work cash flow-wise for yourself? We use a banked hours system. So in summer, okay. often they work over 40 hours. Um, okay. So, but we pay them for 40. We always pay okay. them for 40 and then anything over 40 goes into time banked. Um, okay. And because, and then we're actually not paying out the full, you know, our staffing costs in summer. Um, Got it. So we're making maximum profit in, in summer because we don't have those staffing costs, which means we've got extra cash flow in winter. And what they'll yeah. do is they'll use their banked hours. So for example, if they do 20 hours in a week, then they might take 10 from their banked hours or 20 if they're on a 40-hour contract. Um, some of our staff are on 30-hour contracts, which helps us a little bit. Yeah. And it sounds like a win-win because then your staff gets paid year-round. Yeah. And they get paid 40 hours when they've worked 20, you know. So in winter, it does work out for them as well because they're getting a consistent paycheck and they're not having, you know, they um, in theory get a bit of a break. It seems to me like um, if you wait too long to hire, you really risk the possibility of burnout. Um, mm. Do you feel like hiring staff has been what's kept you from burnout? Yeah, um, definitely staff. Um, I also don't believe in money over relationship in terms of what we take on in our business. Um, okay. I have sent emails to clients and said that we won't be working with them um, wow. because... That takes guts. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first one wasn't easy, but I think within our company, we've said it doesn't matter what the bill is. If, if it's difficult or if you don't want to spend time on it or it's eating up your time um, in a negative way, um, right? then, yeah, no, we're not doing it. It takes some savvy, though, to sort of always see that at the outset. Are there red flags that you're kind of always on the lookout for? I think that you can get a feel for whether someone is respectful. Sure. Often you find that on the day, you know, and we've had that where we've been working and sure. all of a sudden it's extremely disrespectful. But um, you can sometimes read it in, in emails where um, someone's just being a bit sassy towards you or you are getting these long lists and then another long list and another long list and there's no deposit and they're not paying a deposit and they're finding fault with everything that you do. Um, We've just said, no, sorry, like you're actually not a fit for our company. And 
how do you sort of bolster yourself up now to to have those conversations or to put that out there? Because it, it can feel mm. it can feel frightening, right? Yeah. The first time I was very worried because it was a very influential family in Hawke's Bay. Okay. Um, and we'd done uh, a wedding for their family previously. and But I was being asked to give a run-by-run run of every single staff member and what they were doing for every single hour of the wedding day. Um, and I just said, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing it. So that had to be said, really, right. um, to accompany the no. Sure. <laughs> um, and then I guess from there, it's just, I guess, a matter of self-respect. You know, mm. do I deserve to be talked to like this? Is this eating into time with my family? Right. Am I stressed because of what's being said to me? Um, of course, there are hard clients and that's natural. But as soon as it's um, affecting mental health, you know, if the girls in my team have mental health, um, their mental health impacted by a sure. client, no way. Yeah. Like, we're not doing it. Or we've changed because not every client is a fit for every person. Sure. So then we've changed between the staff to say, look, I'm actually going to pass you on to your colleague, Got it. my colleague. Got it. Yeah. You know, I think in this day and age, there's this fear that if we don't bow to every whim of the client, then we're going to get a bad Yelp review. I think that if if someone left me, you know, if there was a bad review and I've had it threatened before, you know, um, I've just maintain that there's the ability to reply on the platform and in a respectful way that just says look this is you know our side of the story and and that's that and if people are seriously reading your reviews and they can read the reply and and see the story and I think if at the end of the day if the staff are all happy with what they've done and and how it's ended and your team are you know all together on it then um it's it's enough yeah is there a, a rule or a policy that you've put in place in your business that's been a game changer? Some of the answers in the past have been about damage policies or about mm. ways they deal with employees or writing something in their contract that they didn't have before. Yes. Um, we put in minimum spends and um, have put in higher minimum spends recently. Tell um, me what that process was like. When you started, did you have no minimums? Yeah, we didn't have a minimum. Okay. And so what was happening? Well, especially when we went into Auckland, we didn't have a minimum. Okay. And um, because we wanted to take whatever we could, right. you know, and we went into this, oh, let's take this order. It's $200, but we're excited to just have the business. Sure. And yeah, I think you, I would start like that again. You know, I, I wouldn't put a minimum spend in straight off the bat. Um, but when we went further into business, um, Definitely minimum spends. We started at $600 and um, we've recently sort of gone even higher depending on time of year, depending on location um, and all those kind of things. Well, it seems to me like you've got quite an empire growing. Uh, (laughs) I usually like to focus mostly on the higher side of businesses on this podcast, but I would love to hear more about Kindred Road because it seems to me like your furniture and homeware shop really goes hand in hand with your with your higher business. Yes. So um, Kindred Road, like you said, is furniture and homeware store um, that has a brick and mortar. All mort- online? No, brick and mortar. Oh, okay. Um, and a new build on the way for that. So um, obviously everyone hates talking about COVID, but here we are. Um, sure. New Zealand went into, I don't know what this happened in the States. I just know, you know, look at the news. But we went into 
like I said, a level four lockdown for New Zealand means only supermarkets and, and pharmacies open. I cannot have events in Auckland. So <sighs> I looked at it and I just thought, um, what have I got that I can do? You know, the famous word pivot. How can I pivot yeah. <laughs> in this industry? And I just thought, look, I import so much furniture and I have containers coming in and why can't I sell? Why can't I bring something in to sell? Because I knew that I had, you know, that supply chain available to me. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just brought in things that were different and different to my area uh, in Hawke's Bay. Right. And, and I did a pop-up store is what I did first. I didn't start, you know, going to the a full lease, um, just a sure. pop-up. And I opened on Christmas Eve <laughs> um, wow. because why not? And, yeah, the, <laughs> the first um, first day we had a lot of interest and I guess because we have the following with Flock, it actually just worked hand in hand um, right. because our target range for Flock really is sort of, well, the wedding scene is, you know, 24 to 35, 40. Sure. And those are the same people buying furniture for their first home. We've had previous brides purchase from us or um, guests at weddings, and we just built off a brand that already existed. Um, Yeah, I I definitely actually recommend it, to be honest. It sounds to me like a lot of work for your own brain. Yeah, I've just sort of see what needs watering, I guess, and that's where the attention has to go. But I, I live a very busy life. There's no doubt about it. Um, this is not for everybody. I don't have a massive social scene and um, <laughs> we live and breathe furniture. Yeah, We've learned a lot about balance and I'm fortunate because I think if Chris wasn't in the same businesses, you know, that we didn't talk the same language, it would sure. be very, very hard. I guess I've just realized the importance of delegating and realized the importance of my time and that paying someone, you know, an hourly wage to do something um, actually is worth it because it frees up me and, you know, and, and putting a price on that. Sure. The importance of staff is just, you know, everybody knows it's the, the hardest part of a business and the best part of a business. Um, but we just wouldn't have a life without staff, you know, that's, that's right. all there is to it. What challenges are you currently facing at Flock? Um, lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're, you know, and we essentially operate over two states really as sure. is, is the US equivalent. But, you know, people, I guess, have navigated this and got shut down for quite a long time. And I think ours has just been extended here. Sure. Um, so, yeah, that, which everyone understands exactly what that means. Um, and I guess at the moment, probably um, the cash flow and expansion, I have about 12 containers of furniture that I ordered, wow. um, which was extreme. Yeah. And I'm very aware of how extreme it was. And I pushed so hard. Um in the middle of a pandemic because I knew our competitors wouldn't. Sure. Um, and they didn't. You right. know, what what others have added and what we've added, you know, we're just streams ahead and it set us up, I think, for future. Um, but because of that, our cash flow is not what it would normally be. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that possibly this is the first time where I've pushed too hard. Mm. Um, but... 
we just, we, in the end, we just said we get deposits, you know, and push for deposits right. and all of those kind of things to, to cover it um, and very high shipping costs. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that I did it because we now have a lot of stock um, when we can do events, sure. we will have this stock and, and be excited. But also because we haven't been able to operate next year, we'll have this stock that seems new, but it wasn't actually new. Sure. It's been around for a bit. Right. And I think that what we have learned in, you know, these crazy times is that we've pushed ourselves as much as we can. And I think yeah. a lot of people have shied away from it. Mm. And and not everybody, like you say, has these different level of risk. And, and not everyone's going to cope in that sure. situation. So obviously it's not sound advice for everybody. Yeah. But um, we have found with everything, with the store as well, that if we've pushed and we've um, added new inventory and continued as if we're not in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. then actually we've seen our bookings go up or the buying of furniture go up and all of those things because we're, we're pushing through and we're sort of telling everyone that we're here to stay and, and sure, your confidence is contagious. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's re- been reflected in bookings, sure. um, that people are excited that we're excited, even though there's this underlying panic that's going <laughs> <Sure>. on. <laughs> well, let's contrast that. Uh, what brings you joy right now in your business? Um, I think sort of sitting back and, and looking at what we've created, I think just little moments like that where the business is functioning and, and you're not actually working sure. is just the most amazing feeling. It's such a good feeling. Mm. Yeah. Well, a big thanks to Alice for coming on to share her wisdom and some new vocabulary with us. Check out the show notes to find links to her website and Instagram. And while you're checking out the show notes, look out for the link to join the RW Elephant mailing list. We're always sharing industry resources and opportunities. But for now, keep on listening to hear Alice's answers to my lightning round questions. Three words to describe your collection. Modern. Fresh and summery. Ooh. What is one trait you look for when hiring? Uh, loyalty. If you could only have one type of fabric in your entire collection, what would it be? Uh, outdoor canvas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is something other event pros do that annoys you? Um, being obnoxious and sort of, you know, <laughs> just not humble. No humility. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay, do you rent, lease, or purchase your delivery vehicles? Purchase. Okay. Uh, two things outside of work you love to do? Uh, go to the beach and play the viola. A business tool you couldn't live without? RW Elephant. Oh, perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, would you rather pack a delivery truck blindfolded or get a last-minute order for a 200-person wedding that's happening tomorrow? Oh, last-minute order. Um, and what's the next big trend in hire um I think cohesive furniture okay very all the same kind of look well wonderful I have one final question for you um what do you enjoy most about your hire adventures how diverse it is um nothing Mm. is the same you have no idea what today is going to bring um Sure. Yeah. And it might bring you a 200 yeah, person wedding for tomorrow. Hey, we've had that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I just wow. love that it's unique every single day. And I think that's what our staff love as well, that 